Today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Twilio. This October, Twilio is hosting Signal, the customer developer conference of the year. To grab your tickets, go to signal.twilio.com and be sure to use the code MISSION20 at checkout to receive 20% off your tickets. Dr. Karsten Tem is fascinated with the limitless potential of the unseen microbes that inhabit our world. What if you could engineer them to fight pollution? It turns out you can. And in this episode, Dr. Tem and I discuss biological engineering, the future of synthetic biology, and his company, Pivot Bio. Let's jump into today's episode. Karsten, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks. So I'm excited to have you here for a bunch of different reasons. And the best place, I think, to start and kind of present your story to everyone is when people ask you, what do you do? How do you answer that? Really just trying to build something that solves a problem. And the problem has to be something that affects all of us. So ideally global in scale. Sure. And that type of thinking, did that emerge naturally with you? Or when did you start thinking about global challenges, global problems, and how you could solve them? Yeah, probably step by step. And and I'd say that for me right now, the focus is I, I have this vision to be able to build a more sustainable food system. And I've come to this place really because of my schooling, what I've been exposed to, a lot of the people around me. Sure. And I, I think what I realize is is it's a number of doors and opportunities that have per, been presented to me simply because of everybody I've had a chance to interact with and learn from. And I think curiosity and, and creativity go hand in hand because it, it means we have a, a real chance to, to think about what I might be able to contribute or what my team might be able to contribute to a new way of thinking about our food system. And so you mentioned your team, the company that you founded is called Pivot Bio. Could you tell That's us right. a little bit uh, about that and what you're up to? Sure. So I kind of mentioned the a vision of a more sustainable food system. And it really starts by rethinking how we use fertilizer because what we do today creates enormous pollution in the world. It's something where the fertilizer we use, it either turns into a greenhouse gas that's 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide, wow. or nitrate runs off into our waterways and it, it creates dead zones. So these are places around the world where there is uh, not enough oxygen for life to exist. And so everything has died and there are 500 of them around the planet. That's not, not it's, a good thing. It's pretty crazy. So, you know, one of them is, is where the Mississippi flows into the Gulf of Mexico. Sure. And it's almost the size of Connecticut. Wow. And I mean, not many people know this, but we get a majority of our oxygen from phytoplankton in the ocean, right? Exactly. Yeah. So protecting the oceans should be top of mind. kind of an important for, thing. Kind of an important That's right. thing. And so Pivot Bio is doing a number of different things with engineering new ways to better absorb nitrogen or transmit nitrogen. I'm not... You'll, you'll well, have to so, explain it. So I, I think what we realized, my co-founder and I realized, was if we would look to the crop for its own solution on how to obtain nitrogen, we could completely rethink things. And the answer to that is just really lying below our feet in the right. roots of the plant. And so the crop's own microbiome has the ability to take nitrogen gas out of the atmosphere and turn it into ammonia, a, a form of nitrogen that plants and animals and all higher life forms can use. And so it's a, a building block of life. Once you get nitrogen into an ammonia form, it can make DNA and proteins and, and all of the things that really make life work. But the challenge is, how do you get it from nitrogen gas into ammonia? Very and cool. 
uh, and the microbiome of the crop has that capability. So we have to go back before we dive too deep into this. How did you get the background and the foundation of skills necessary to start doing this and, and found the company? Do you attribute it to you know getting started early on in school or your college experience? Where did, where did that kind of start? Well, I've worked on this specific problem for about the last 15 years. Wow. And it's because I came to the Bay Area to get exposed to a new type of technology. Really, how do we use biology as the next type of building material in the world around us? And for my doctoral work, I focused on this exact problem. How can we use a crop's own microbiome to be able to provide nitrogen to a plant? Right. And at the end of the day, how do we unlock something that has gone dormant because of well over a century of using fertilizer? So for me, the the proximity of the problem, it really started when I came out here to California for my graduate research. But the idea of being a problem solver, being able to look to technology and blend that with sustainability for uh, solving world problems, I mean, I think that's always been something I've had an interest in, but it's it's building the pieces of that across my schooling and across uh, different experiences in life. And I'm guessing that a lot of the love of biology or interest that you have and it started when you were in undergrad doing a biomedical engineering degree or yeah biomedical and for me it was knowing i I, you know i came out high school and probably like a lot of folks i i said i i like math i like science or i could see a way you could turn those into a kind of a technology focused degree i think computers are great how do you how do you merge and blend all those together and at that time biomedical engineering was this new degree program within the broad scope of engineering. And it seemed like a great place to to just explore. And, and really, how do we take classic forms of engineering and apply them to medicine? At the University of Iowa, where I went, the big focus was how do we build better heart valves or hearing aids, hip implants? And, and it was a great place to really get exposed to kind of the principles of engineering sure, with a little bit of applied focus. And it was also a place where I had a chance to take some entrepreneurship classes. And I think that's what really, for me, cemented an interest in always being able to translate new discoveries from an academic setting out into something that's more applied and and touches the world around us. Were there any inspirations or mentors you had that helped open the door and show you that academic research is great, it can be very useful, but here's how you could make it applied if you wanted to. Did anybody kind of like open those doors for you or kind of point you in those directions? You know, I, I'd say the the person who had the biggest impact in helping to to create pivot was my graduate advisor, Chris Voigt. And really I was I was drawn to work with him on this topic because he he had such an applied focus. A lot of the problems that, that we worked on as a research lab really were trying to think about how we could create better technologies that would improve things. We would spend a lot of time talking about what the the potential future for this particular research was and if it was the right combination of technologies that could make a difference Mm. and if it was the right time for investors to have an appetite for that kind of technology risk and, and commercial risk. And back then when you were starting to do some of this research, were investors very interested? Were they still pretty skittish at this point or did you have some investors stopping by campus and things like that? It was an interesting time because there had been a big investment in biotechnology 
applied to creating the next generation of fuel. And biofuels companies had just IPO'd, and then they all had a poor track record in the public markets. Really, challenges of, of scaling a new technology to be able to compete with our petrochemical refinery plants. Right. And that, that's Not a really easy to do that. big <laughs> challenge. And, yeah. and so I think there were a set of investors that were wary of biotechnology outside of medicine. And when we started the company, we actually had funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh, very cool. And, and the challenge that they presented to us was, uh, they said, you know, you have this capability of using a crop's microbiome to supply nitrogen to the plant. Could you actually take those genetics and put them into the plant itself and make it self-fertilize? And that's something we explored and we realized that it's a huge investment in, in new technology to get there. It's going to be a multi-decade process to de-risk the technology. And then at the end of the day, you're left with a transgenic plant that may have issues with cultural acceptance right. and, and really commercialization. So the better solution is just to go with what nature's already provided us, that microbiome of the plant. And once we, we made that shift, that's when we realized it was a perfect time for ag tech investing. The, I think there were a lot of new successes, especially around the valley, People interested in being able to see how you could use big data or new types of ideas coming into agriculture mm. to be able to improve overall productivity. One of the things that you mentioned is de-risking a company. So you're trying to take risk out of the equation every step of the way. How did that initial grant help you do that? And what was the next major milestone maybe in the company's life where you said, okay, we've really de-risked it now because we've solved most of the problems? Yeah. For us, you know, it... There was one day I remember my co-founder and I were walking from our lab to the coffee shop, and I think we, we just looked at ourselves and we said, you know, if we don't figure something out, this grant is going to run out. We're not going to have any money left, and yeah. a year from now, we're going to have to shut our doors. But we stopped and we looked down at the ground and we said, look at the, I mean, if you think about a plant, it's roots below the dirt. If we just go back to our own roots and, and kind of our academic inspiration for this whole effort... We saw the potential of what microbes can do in a symbiosis with a plant. Mm. And, and let's go back to that because there's, there's a real possibility there to produce a sustainable business and not just a technology. And if we start thinking about how we're going to solve a farmer's challenges, right. then we're going to be able to design a product that really makes life better for them and can literally clean up the planet. And That's... I think that was our aha moment. We said, okay, we, we've got all the tools yeah. This is a time when investors really have an appetite for investing in this kind of technology. And we see a clear path that we can de-risk a product and a business model faster than anybody else in the world can. So why wouldn't we do this? If we don't do this, who else is going to? Right. It's a great question to always ask. So you mentioned the word symbiosis there. And I think that that is really exciting to think about in terms of GMOs and non-GMOs and adaptive evolutionary engineering and stuff like that, because a lot of people that are interested in GMOs and things like that, I don't hear them use the words like symbiosis too much. Maybe I'm just not around them enough. Do you feel like people in the industry are cautious enough, overcautious, or are they aiming for symbiosis and harmony with the environment or are they being reckless? What do you think? Maybe I'll step back and just make an observation that I think what is phenomenal about this moment in time is 
we have a lot of new capabilities and technologies for understanding the world around us. Sure. And so the ability to, to read and write DNA means now we can unlock a lot of information about our microbiome or about a plant's microbiome that, that really was just invisible to us 15, 20 years ago or even 100 years ago. Right. And now as we really begin to understand how do we use living technologies to build a better world around us or a more sustainable world, mm. then it can leverage all that information in new ways. And the tools of being able to start manipulating DNA or improving the overall phenotype and behavior of a living organism is just one component of that bigger picture, which is to say the world around us is entirely the fuel for sustainability and the long-term health of this planet. So we need to make sure any new technology integrates both living and non-living pieces of that puzzle. So you're looking for holistic solutions that are viable over the long term. Would you say there's a big community in the synthetic genetic community or of scientists and people like that? Do a lot of people share those sentiments of values and things like that? Well, I, I think it's an evolution of where that community is going. Sure. Because in some ways, I mentioned biofuels companies. And the real innovation there was to capitalize on a lot of discoveries over the last 30 or 40 years in biotechnology. So some of the earliest successes in biotechnology were being able to produce things like human insulin with a microbe or a yeast. And, and that really changed the way we think about sustainable medicine. Sure. And then sustainable fuel was all about being able to enable a yeast to brew something that's like a hydrocarbon you could burn in your car versus brewing beer. And now as we start thinking about all of the capabilities that exist in nature, it's more a, a question or a, a topic where we can we can start to repurpose what nature's already capable of doing. Right. And it's almost an extension of the way we bred crops to be better or more, more productive. And I think it's kind of the confluence of those two. What's the industry term? Is it like biomimetic inspired design or what, what's the right phrasing? Because this is- That's, like, that's a, an interesting way to describe it is in some ways, being able to push the boundary of what's possible lacks the right kind of terms. And, yeah, and seems, analogies are always going to be really important in that process. It seems to be this challenging situation where there's an, a whole new field emerging and you need to put language around it as quickly as possible to make it palatable and digestible for other people. So Pivot Bio is working on many things. You mentioned kind of your first product is this nitrogen-based solution for crops or how do you describe it? Yeah. So what we've done is we've actually gone out and mapped the crop's own microbiome. So we'll, we'll take a crop like corn, corn, wheat, and rice together. We use half of the world's fertilizer on just those three crops. So if we want to make a cleaner planet, we said, let's focus on the, the three big consumers of fertilizer. Corn is the biggest. And in the US, our corn crop it uses about 6% of the world's fertilizer. Wow. It's like one crop in just one country can have such a big impact. So we mapped the root system of a corn plant, understood how microbes and plant interact. And we realized that a small fraction of those microbes already have this ability. They have the genetics that allow them to take nitrogen gas and make ammonia for the plant. And what's happened is we've used fertilizer for so long that it's made those genetics go silent. And so they're just sitting there inside of the microbe, 
not actually enabling that microbiome to reach its full potential in right. providing nutrients to the crop. We've gone back and rediscovered those microbes and then brought them into the lab and turned back on the genetics. So it's like flipping the switch. And now these microbes are able to continually spoon feed nitrogen to the crop. And then the next part of the challenge for us has been, how do we turn that into an actual product? You know, so you, you asked a little bit a few minutes ago about some stepping stones in kind of the evolution of our sure. company. Yeah. And one of the things we did is we spent a lot of time interacting with farmers. And so we'd go to farmers and, and ask them what it's like to use fertilizer today and how could that be different? One of the things we realized is that there's a big inefficiency in the process as it's done today because a, a crop, as it grows, it needs different amounts of nitrogen every different day of its life cycle. Hmm. So when a, a seed germinates, it doesn't need very much nitrogen at all. And as it grows through being a seedling to being a, a little bit more mature plant, it has a very low rate of nitrogen that it needs. And then all of a sudden, there's this explosive growth spurt. And the plant really becomes like a sponge. It just soaks nitrogen out of the ground as fast as it can. And there's nothing that we can do in today's system to be able to supply that nitrogen fast enough unless you add fertilizer to the field. Now, what happened before we had fertilizer is the crop's own microbiome actually would supply that. Hmm. So it would kick in and give the nitrogen right when the crop needed it. I just got to interject here. There's this story. So we just, we have a book club and one of the books we just read was Walt Disney's biography. And in his biography, his grandfather is basically admonishing all the other farmers because they're using too much fertilizer. Okay. He says, it's like whiskey. If you give a man whiskey, it might help for a temporary time, but there's going to be some pretty big trade-offs down the line. Yeah. And it's interesting how a lot of old time farmers kind of maybe picked up on this beforehand, but the general consensus amongst them was that too much fertilizer was going to do something kind of like interfere negatively in the long run. So mm -hmm. now that's playing out, it looks like. Well, it's, it's something that it's become a necessity. Right. Because if you had to stop using fertilizer, we'd have half of the agricultural productivity we have today. We've done such a great job being able to breed crops that are more and more productive. Mm. But the only way we can support that is by feeding them fertilizer. So it's it's almost become a little bit of a self-fulfilling cycle that, that we need to go back and break that dependency and get back to leveraging the, the microbiome itself. So in a way, you're kind of saying the exogenous solutions to a problem aren't going to be nearly as good as the, getting the biology to endogenously self-correct, right? Yeah, something that's closed loop. And, gotcha. and it really starts bringing back some of my engineering principles. How do you design the right black boxes to think about interactions between crop and its microbiome? How do you make sure that we understand the flows in and out of the system? Very cool. So are there any examples of pilot studies of happy clients that you like to bring up? Yeah. So this year, actually, we did a beta test on our first product. And what we designed is we designed a microbe that if you add it to the field at the same time you plant your seeds, then as soon as that seed germinates, there's a symbiosis that forms between the roots and the microbe. And then it takes over from there and it eliminates the need to be able to drive a tractor through the field and add that fertilizer. So we went out with farmers across the Midwest and had them test that at scale this year. And we had them see how well it integrated into what they do already and how it would begin to change their practices. 
and right now is is really the kickoff for harvest season. So over the next couple of months, we'll get all of that data back. And everybody's been out walking the fields throughout the summer, kind of taking photos, taking measurements. So we're we're really beginning to see at a large scale a real massive look at just how much impact these microbes can have. That's exciting. It's kind of like a seasonal business. I don't it, know if you it, anticipated it, is. it was going to be kind of like, you know, you can, farming season. <laughs> you can release one version of your code every every year. So it kind of slows things down, but it also means it's a chance to really get deep into the details. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing things like the plants end up being healthier because it's a more consistent supply of nutrients. And if there is a case where you have a huge rainstorm and it, it would normally wash fertilizer away, these microbes have such a strong symbiosis that that they're adherent to the roots. They're, they're not going to be washed away. And I was flying into Iowa earlier this summer, and they've had so much rain there this year. It's almost like looking down and seeing a piece of Swiss cheese. There's just all these spots in the field that the nitrogen has run off into the river systems. And then what we've seen is in our fields that have pivot microbes on them, you have these lush green plants that continually have enough nitrogen. So you mentioned talking to farmers and customer development conversations are so, so important mm-hmm. with any business. How did those shape what you were doing? And would you recommend them to other entrepreneurs or executives who are looking to solve a problem? Always. Yeah. Hey, number one thing you could do is is test your assumptions. Right. Because... With the people that are paying the, money, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the ability to know that there's an idea and part of that idea may be amazing and part of it's probably going to be wrong. You got to be able to suss those two out and who better to do it with than the the people who are going to use your product or the people who are actually going to part with their money right. for your product. It's a great way to get honest feedback for That's sure. Right. So you started with the grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And after that, you start to de-risk the business. You start to develop things. You're following that rabbit hole. At what point do you consider going to investors? And how did you think about that? And how did you and your co-founder go about that process? Well, so my co-founder, Alvin, and I, uh, we had that aha moment. And we said, this is the perfect time to go out and build a proof of concept. This is also a time when we can raise some seed capital to do that. And if we can build a proof of concept and advance the technology one step further, then it's going to be a self-fulfilling cycle and matching up with the real goals of being able to use venture investment to accelerate a business. Sure. And it's a little bit unique in a physical technology sphere because a lot of that investment is about being able to de-risk both the technology and the product and not as much in the early stages around commercial de-risking. Right. So it's an added phase because there is a little bit longer path to market. And there aren't as many VCs, too, that are familiar with bio and or even want to be involved in new biotech. Or... It's, it's definitely a rapidly growing and emerging field. Right. And, and so we've been fortunate to have some really monumental investors behind us, folks who have both a perspective on new technology and a, a perspective on kind of classic biotechnology and, and how the, the two meld together. Our earliest backer was Data Collective. And Data Collective is is heavily invested in a lot of new types of physical technologies that really can leverage broad data sets to accelerate the development of this physical product. And uh, it's been phenomenal for us to, to walk through building a, a proof of concept and a prototype, and then taking that from 
a greenhouse out into a field and, and seeing that there is translatability from specific measurements and, and underlying knowledge of, of the details of how a product works in a lab or a greenhouse and seeing those same measurements hold true out in a field. And it really starts to speak to the ability to predict which versions of a product idea are going to work best and, and how you could maybe shorten that path to market because you have those kind of insights. Very cool. So this is the portion of the interview where we like to jump into the lightning round, do some fast awesome. rapid fire questions. So if you're ready, let's do it. So what is your favorite book you've read over the last few years and why? I'll have to throw out two books and they'll be nerdy science books. So anybody can expand their oh, horizons. Yeah. So two books that'll give you a picture on the history that led to where Pivot is today. There's one called Alchemy of Air, and it describes the invention of fertilizer. And so two German scientists, Haber and Bosch, invented this process, won some Nobel Prizes in the early 1900s. It led to the strength and foundation of what BASF is today, but it also helped to prop up and fuel Germany through both world wars. Hmm. It's a story of two really successful scientists and a lot of the good and bad that came from that. Cautionary tale of how to protect and capture the value and not let it fall in the hands of the, exactly. <laughs> the wrong people. I love it. What about, do you read any fiction or sci-fi? I do. Same. So I, any, I, any I just favorites? finished right. Artemis. Oh, um, cool. Last nice. week. So yeah, I, I was a little bit scared to read it. I didn't want to be, the, you know, The Martian was so great. It was like, yeah. I, it was good. I, I liked it. It Enjoyable read. It goes pretty quick. Cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. What about podcasts? Are you listening to any, are you, do you have any on your podcast player? Anybody wants to know anything about farming, go check out Ag PhD. Okay. So two brothers, the Hazy brothers, they run a retail operation in South Dakota. And this is their daily radio show. You know, every day it's a different topic related to oh, that's awesome. your, your herbicide, your picking which seeds you're going to use, when you, you should harvest, all those kind of things. But nice little dose of the ag industry. Very cool. And what about music or a playlist? Do you listen to classical music or what do you, do you like music when you work? You know, it, it really changes. I find myself kind of in, in moods that may last a week at a time. So right now I've got a radio station on Pandora based on the Lumineers. Yeah, I kind of do the same thing. I try to match music to the mood and not the other way. I don't try to fight the mood. I just try to like yeah. embrace it with music. Very cool. If you do have time to put your feet up and relax, are you watching a TV series, a movie, or do you not watch TV? You know, it, what I find is so I've, got, I've got two kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And once my wife and I get them to bed, usually it's either, you know, go tackle a couple of emails and then fall asleep <laughs> ourselves because you're yeah. just exhausted by them. Or I kind of whatever the the show is that we're three seasons behind and need to catch up on it. Gotcha. Uh, and is, is there any or do you tr like try to stay up with anything? Are you watching Westworld or anything? Off of everything HBO, probably Game of Thrones might be the last one that that's been a heavy investment in for us. <laughs> and... The final question here, and feel free to take as much time as you need to answer, but what does the future of biology and synthetic biology and ag tech look like if we get it right, or if people like you and Pivot Bio get it even a fraction of, you know, right? What's that look like for yeah. everyone? Great question. And where we're at now is this chance that biology can open doors on a new type of building material for the world. So we can build new types of materials the world has never seen before. So maybe that's new ingredients for what we wear or 
the types of things that make our devices work better. Mm-hmm. But it's also a chance when we can rethink what it means to fuel this entire planet. Because everything around us, by and large, is derived from petrochemicals. And biology is derived from sunlight, fundamentally. So if we can shift that and now have not only a new set of materials that's never existed before, but also something that can live and respond and self-heal, respond to the environment, and it's fueled by sunlight... And I, I think it's a great time to be creative and, and try to dream up something that, that hasn't been thought of before. I love it. Biology is the new code, or maybe it always was. <laughs> it was the original. We're just starting to get smart enough to catch up and understand it. I love it. Thanks for being so generous with your time. And to everyone out there, we'll see you next time on the Mission Daily. The Mission Daily is brought to you by the Twilio Signal Conference. Join the mission team on October 17th through the 18th in San Francisco. And when you join us at the conference, you can use the code MISSION20 to get 20% off. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.